Welcome to the Traffic Masters Show. Each week, Traffic Masters explores the lifeblood of your business, generating traffic, turning visitors into leads, and conversion strategies. Mastering traffic and conversion allows you to grow a business you love and live the life of your dreams. Welcome to the show. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Traffic Masters here on Blog Talk Radio. I am your co-host, Gina Gaudio-Graves, the Dean and Founder of Directions University at DirectionsUniversity.com. Calling in live this week from Bonita Springs, Florida, as I do each week on Tuesdays at noon Eastern. We have yet another fantastic show lined up for you guys today. We have co-host, so Directions University, Jack Humphrey, calling in from Richmond, Indiana. Hello, Jack. Hello. Okay, it looks like I've got you unmuted. Are you there, Jack? I'm here. Can you hear me? Hmm. Let me check with our guest. Steve, are you here? Let's see if we can figure out the tech issue going on. Can you hear me now? You can't hear me, Jack? Hello, 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 hello. Hang on, I'm working on it, guys. Jack says he can hear me. It says you're unmuted, Jack. I'm here. Jan and Steve, you guys are both unmuted as well. Can can you guys try and talk? Oh, Jan yeah. can hear us both. <laughs> I can hear you both. Yep, and okay, I can hear you guys. Going on, oh. guys. Let me hang up from the show and call right back in and see if I can't get everybody else unmuted with me. I'll be right back. Well, hey, Jack, and hey, Steve. Um, I was really excited to have you as a guest because your topic fits so perfectly with what Jack and Gina talk about all the time, which is having a strong sense of purpose leads to more profits. Nice. I I love it. I know. It was like, wow. When that came across my desk, I was like, this is so good. Um, So if you don't mind me asking, Jack, I'm going to jump in and say, how, how did this start for you? Because that's not your typical, you know, business training. Okay, can anybody talk now? We're talking, and I hear you well. We're already hey, here. Hey, I hear Steve. you now. Yahoo! <laughs> Steve, let's see if we can hear you, too. Can you guys hear me perfectly? Yeah. Yay! Uh-huh. Okay, whatever it was. It was just Gina. It's me calling back it, in. Yeah. So All right, well, let me do a little quick is... introduction of Steve, and then we yeah, can get Steve on with the did. question because we mm-hmm. kind of missed that. Uh, today's interview is with the founder of Conversion for Good, Steve Dar. Uh, Conversion for Good is a marketing agency that serves businesses and nonprofit organizations that have a mission. 
after learning from multiple early entrepreneurial failures, investing thousands of hours and managing over $1.3 million in online advertising spend for Fortune 500-level businesses, Steve wrote the book Profit Hacking. How's that, Steve? That's, that's a better way to start out, right? <laughs> and welcome. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here with you guys. And uh, Jack, I, I think you were one of my early um, online marketing mentors when I, I bought and read your book, Bending the Web, uh, a couple years ago. Awesome. I love to hear that. And I didn't steer you wrong. You're still around. You're still doing Internet stuff, so that's a good sign. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's... Um, there's a lot of people out there and you're putting out a lot of stuff, um, but I, I really resonated with, with Bending the Web. I thought it was like really interesting. And for me, it was like one of those things where it just expanded my mind to like how much it's possible and like, um, like the, the leverage and the power of, of, you know, if you can do it right and if you can, um, uh, like create really good content for people that like want people want to engage and share with it. It was kind of like, um, a little bit like before the curve of content marketing in my opinion. Well, thank you. Awesome. So, how did that how did that lead, for, lead to number. where you are today? Oh, go ahead, oh, Gina. Well, I was just going to say, from his phone number, it looks like he's from my hometown, somewhere around Chicago. Is that right, Steve? That is correct. I'm I'm in Chicago right now. It's a, a balmy like six degrees, and it's it's great. <laughs> well, I'm originally from Arlington Heights, so. Always nice to have a, a fellow Chicagoan. Go ahead, Jack. Well, you guys, you can go lay out in the sun later today, Steve. I know you guys like to do that up in Chicago. Six is pretty hot up there. So, <laughs> Well, I was just going to uh, find out a little bit more about your journey to where you are today, if you could give us a little bit of background and uh, how you arrived at, um, you know, businesses that care, because that's unusual in this day and age. Yeah, so it's it's a little bit of a long story, but it's, in my opinion, pretty good. Um, so we'll start at the beginning. So I was born a baby, and then... Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I graduated college. I went to the University of Illinois, and I got a, a degree in finance. And the job I got straight out of college, I graduated in 2010. So it was like right when unemployment was at its absolute highest from uh, the, the recession. And I got this job to be a financial advisor specifically for K through 12 school teachers. And at the time, that's exactly what I wanted to do. I thought I got my dream job, but really quickly after about a month and a half, two months of being at this company, this, this massive insurance company, I realized that the, the plan that they wanted me to sell teachers into for their retirement was like the worst option that someone could could choose for themselves and for their family. Just really expensive hidden fees, lots of um, like nickel and diming people on like small things that if you didn't have a really strong financial background, you wouldn't be able to like see exactly what they were doing. And the benefits that they like sold and promised and talked about to, to prospects, um, they, they actually were almost impossible that they'd ever come into fruition. Like the, all the, the kind of, uh, stipulations around them made them basically worthless benefits. And so I was like, I don't believe in this product. I don't want to be selling it to teachers. So I left and I was sitting there uh, like age 22, almost 23. And I was thinking, well, what am I going to do? I, I could go back and try and find a job 
but a lot of my friends were still out looking for their first job out of college and I had already recruited and, and been hired and started training and then left. So I was like, I don't think too many people are going to want to take a chance on me after I, I pulled that stunt. So I, I, hmm. I, I'm coming back to like this injustice in my opinion that this company as well as several other large companies were, were not serving teachers properly, even though they held themselves out to be fiduciaries and they actually dominate the market. They have about 80% of the market share of teacher retirement plans and it results in about $3 billion every year being taken from teachers across the United States and being put straight into uh, like the revenue and basically the bottom line profits of these massive, massive insurance companies. So that's when I turned to the web and I started my first business to try and get teachers access to better financial information and, and get them into better plans, things that serve them better, um, would, would protect them and their families more more appropriately. And so I was about 23 when I started and I was not equipped whatsoever to to run a business to I didn't know anything about marketing, I didn't know anything about sales. So it was a process of failing over and over and over and learning and and just trying to get um some virtual mentors through reading books, going through courses, trying to connect with people who who were having success and just asking them how they did it and reading. I mean, I read about a book a week for a couple of years um on marketing and sales and driving traffic, converting traffic. And that's how I eventually was got the, the knowledge base to write my book. But yeah, it was a process of just lots of struggle and, and learning and, and eventually, you know, it, it accumulated and, and started paying off. Awesome. So that leads us to today. And uh, what, are, what are the types of people and businesses and, and uh, groups do you, do you like to work with? And what is Conversion for Good all about? Sure. So I, I guess to to take us to today, I eventually, by the time I got like pretty dangerous or at least like enough to be competent with all this stuff, I had lost all my money. I was broke and in debt to uh, several credit cards. And um, so I had to put my internet entrepreneur marketing dreams on hold for a little bit. I got a job at a, a large digital marketing agency where I drove traffic and then converted traffic for very large companies, uh, most of them public companies, some of them in the Fortune 500. And after being at that job for a little bit, I kind of like fell into, you know, it's kind of nice and comfortable to have routine and structure and to get a guaranteed paycheck every two weeks. And um, But then some a couple of things jolted me out of uh, that kind of um, – you know, that comfort and kind of reconnected me to my my drive and my desire to be an entrepreneur. And one of the things was reading John Mackey's book, Conscious Capitalism, and he talked about companies that have, uh, you know, they're quote-unquote conscious. So they have a vision and a mission and a purpose greater than simply earning revenue and profits. They look to enrich all their stakeholders as opposed to just their shareholders. They look to make the environment, the world a better place to eliminate suffering. And so I started looking into companies like that and I see there's more and more companies that kind of are aligned with that. And I was thinking that most of the clients I was working with at this agency were companies that were kind of like from the old guard of, of capitalism and business where 
they really care mostly about themselves and their earnings and making their their shareholders happy, which is fine. There's it's not saying right or wrong, but it felt more aligned with myself to work with companies that that had a, a vision and a mission, something that's a little bit broader. So I left my job wow. about a year ago to to work specifically with companies like that. And um, it didn't it wasn't didn't start out immediately as conversion for good, but it eventually morphed into evolved into that uh, conversion optimization agency working with um, nonprofits as well as for profits that have um, that that vision for something greater. Awesome. Can you give me an example of something um, that you would do? I mean, you know how regular internet business works, right? And people, entrepreneurs, DIYers, and big companies are all out there doing, uh, you know, what they do, uh, whatever service they provide or products or goods, and, um, you know, doing the regular social media and, and uh, email marketing and lead generation and everything else. How does uh, the work that you're doing with these groups uh, differ in that. I would imagine that the content is a little bit more rich. The uh, the the purpose and everything it's like sort of purpose driven rather than just profit motive, but purpose, right? So it's got to be a little bit different. Yeah, I mean certainly. So with with conversion optimization and A/B testing, like this, I, I love this analogy. I actually um, I spoke on stage at a conference back at the end of uh, January. It was my first time speaking in front of people. I don't remember a thing. <laughs> uh, yeah. I remember like seven seconds of being up there, maybe my last seven seconds of saying, like, that's all I got for you. Um, but, I, I mean, I know what I talked about. And so I talked about the – it's called the law of emergence. And so the analogy is basically like that you have an acorn has everything it needs inside of it to grow into a giant oak tree. Uh, it has the blueprint, the map, the DNA, the code to turn from a little tiny acorn that you can hold in the palm of your hand to uh, this massive, massive tree that lasts for centuries. But it needs the conditions to be correct for that, to, for that transformation, for that emergence to happen. It needs to be planted in fertile soil, needs nutrients, sunlight, water, not to get crowded out by other trees, not to get burned down in a forest fire. Etc. And so I said that right. humans are the same way, and that we have everything we need within us to succeed, to fulfill our purpose, our vision, to reach our goals, um, to to live a really happy, fulfilled life. But you need the right conditions in order to help that part of you emerge and help that come out and express itself and and provide enough value to others to to kind of get um, yourself closer to those things. But I also say that your website is is like that as well. There's a perfect version of your website in there that speaks as clearly and authentically as possible to your visitors, that explains your value proposition, explains why they should subscribe or buy or sign up with you as opposed to all the other options that they have. And so what I do is I help websites get closer and closer to that purest expression of uh, of what they are, who they are, what they stand for, and why their perfect prospect, their their customer, their their audience that they're trying to talk to, um, why they're the perfect fit. So that's really what I'm doing. Does that does that answer your question? Yeah, I was wondering if I could run something by you and get your feedback on it. It it, it has to do with um, not just nonprofits who obviously are passion driven. Um, there's no profit motive there. there. There has to be some other drive. It's passion. It's but businesses as well. Um, 
you know, I think a lot of people, I think nonprofits, I've worked with them before, and they come on and they start reading about how to engage followers. They start learning really scary terms like, you know, market share and demographics and your avatar and all of this stuff. And that takes somebody who's purely driven by passion uh, and wants this organization to succeed and puts them in a weird world of marketing speak. And, um, and I think along the line, I've met, I've been in nonprofits. I've been an executive director of a few and uh, worked in them uh, in the 90s uh, for about 11 years. And, uh, you know, everybody there is just really on board for the thing that they do. If it's clean drinking water or, you know, or environmental, whatever it might be, that's what they do. That's what the, we're, you know, and some of them will come in with some experience in, in other things, but hardly ever is that experience um, you know, business training or marketing training or anything like that. And they get jumped into this world where it's like, okay, you got to go out and figure out how we're going to get more um, traction on social media and get more people here and convert them into supporters in this way and this way and this way. And then they go out and they see a world of just, uh, you know what I'm talking about, the, the marketing stuff. And, and it's all coming from business perspectives, which is, you know, everybody assuming that the only reason you'd be in business is to make a bunch of money or to make more money or whatever that is. And so that's usually where all the materials begin and end. If you want to, you know, get more attention and make more sales, here's what you do. For a nonprofit person uh, or a business that is uh, that was put together first and foremost from the passion perspective, I want to help, you know, people with something and do something good in the world, not just uh, make money, although that's still important. It's not unimportant. It's just not the very, very top of the list. Um, I think people get lost in that. You know, I think really good people that forget that the most important or never had anybody come in and just tell them the most important thing you can do is just get the word out about what you do. And there's a demographic, there's a, there's a group of people out there who really, really want to see that you're doing this good in the world, and they'll support you. And you don't have to get so, you know, tactical and so clinical in your delivery that you lose the passion and you lose your voice and you lose the message because you've been spending so much time learning about how all the you know pure capitalists go and drive traffic and and do business on the web does that does that resonate with you or do you have any examples of things where that's that's been a, a true in your experience yeah so i mean the, the majority of the time the, the vast majority of my clients are for-profit businesses and but they have like a charitable component or a mission tied in. So like whenever you see a business that's got like a one for one model, like Tom's where every time they sell a mm -hmm. pair, they, they donate one. So Tom's is not a client of mine, but just it's a very well-known example. And so like they're really, they do have like good business minds and structure and um, all, all the, those things in place. And then they're just using, because in my opinion, and I kind of am, am curbing this from conscious capitalism, is that I think for-profit businesses and, and mission-driven for-profit entrepreneurs are probably the best equipped people to, to really solve some of the really big problems. Um, you know, government has often proven to not be incredibly efficient. The old guard of business hasn't has proven to not be incredibly interested in solving it. And then... Um, and so I, I think it's kind of these mission-driven for-profit businesses that are able to fuel their their passion and their mission and their purpose 
through a, a profitable business is, is really like what I'm focusing on. And so what I do is I make something that I take generally websites that work that already are are up and running and profitable and then just optimize them, soup them up to like the hilt to make them uh, as effective as possible at turning their visitors into customers. But to, to speak to what you were saying, I totally, totally have seen some things like that. Like when I was working at the marketing agency, I was a, I was a co-chair for the charity committee. And so we, we took a couple nonprofits in Chicago under our wing and we'd have them come to the office or we'd go out to theirs and we'd teach them some of the basics of digital marketing. And, um, it, it was like very clear to see that these people had just immense passion for what they were doing and they really wanted to get the word out and, and grow, uh, get more people on their website, but it was like overwhelming and, and they get really lost in, in the weeds, like with, with all the specific tactics and like the thousand things you can do. And so hopefully um, two things to speak to that. One, my, my book, Profit Hacking, I wrote it to, so I, I, took a huge library of knowledge and it took some time to really try and distill it down to like the most uh, highest leverage things you could do spoken in like the clearest, cleanest, like less, least jargon free um, way possible. And that's been really big compliment to me is that people have read it who have really no little to no experience on the web or in marketing. They said, I was able to understand it. Like, I feel like I could go and implement this, um, like I certainly understand it infinitely better than before I read it. So that to me is a huge compliment. And then the second thing is exactly what you were saying. I just watched this TED talk the other day called, I think it was called the art of asking by Rebecca Palmer, uh, Amanda Palmer. She's, um, mm-hmm. she's a musician and it was, and she's got a book too. I haven't read the book, but I watched the TED talk. It was really interesting. And she was talking about the art of asking. And now like when you have um, like your art, or you have a purpose or a mission and that people are aligned with it, that the tools and the, the way to connect with people and get your story out and just ask people to support you if they are aligned or if they identify with you, is the, the barrier to entry is so low that um, it, it's often people are overcomplicating it and they're, they're deviating from the core of their message. Like the thing that's like the most powerful and resonates most with people, they're, they're, Sulling it and, and adding too much onto it, like putting too much lipstick or makeup on on a beautiful person. They're thinking you know? too hard, right? Exactly. And that, would that like I think they get so absorbed in the um, the process and uh, that they it strips away at the message. And the more successful campaigns, in my experience, have been where people didn't know too much. And they were just getting the word out. You you stumble on people all the time. Uh, you know, but you might find somebody through social media, and you're like, "That's interesting. Let's go check this person out." And then you look, and they've got a website, and they're doing. Uh, I remember uh, way back when I interviewed uh, Heather Armstrong at Deuce.com, and that was one of my biggest interviews with a giant, giant blogger before uh, Huffington Post became the biggest blog in the world. She was getting like two or three thousand comments on every post that she put up on a WordPress blog, which I've still never seen anybody top that, including the Huffington Post. But that's the way it was back then, and I wanted to talk to her. And I came in as the big marketing expert guy. I mean, she was on my radio show, and I was going to show, you know, 
ask her why she wasn't doing certain things that I thought she should be doing that we would all we'd all industry wide had agreed this is what you need to do and back then you needed to have an opt-in form in your sidebar so people could opt in for something free get on your newsletter she didn't have that and she had stuff that's supposed to be that I thought was supposed to be at the top of a website at the bottom or it wasn't there at all and I'm like I'm getting ready, and I, I did. I put my foot in it. I, I started asking her about these things, which made everybody listening think, do you not know who you're talking to? Because this woman gets 2,000 comments. <laughs> She's, like, actually doing it in the world. Yet, from my analysis, she was doing almost everything wrong. Yet, she was the biggest blog out there, the biggest mommy blog out there easily, and probably still is, uh, one of the biggest and doing everything right and had a book deal. She eventually got a show on HGTV, all of these different things. And yet, I, when I went in and started you know, asking her about things I thought were wrong, uh, like I could not believe she didn't know what PageRank was. I'm like, I started talking. I thought somebody this experienced and somebody who obviously knows a lot about marketing is going to know what PageRank is. So I'm going to start talking about it. And she paused because she didn't know what to say, because she didn't know what I was talking about. And she was utterly, completely, 1,000% successful in every way you can possibly measure success. And I was still stuck on, because I was coming from the hardcore marketing side of it, all the little things that she wasn't, according to the marketing of the time, doing right. Yet she was killing it. So she wasn't listening to everybody else. She didn't even pollute herself with the knowledge of page rank or or anything SEO-wise, of course. That's the first thing you learn with search engine optimization back then was how, how good is your page rank. She didn't know any of that. She was pure from that, and she was beating the crap out of everybody else, even the people who were really good. I mean, I've never gotten 2,000 comments on any blog post before. So I thought that was pretty interesting that – I think part of it has to be that she was unpolluted. She didn't pollute herself with all of these ideas of the metrics and everything else. She just organically got out there, started talking, started conveying her message, and people glommed onto it because people loved the message. And having it stripped away when you're coming in and you're a nonprofit or a, a business that wants to do good in the world, and you, it immediately, I think, starts to have the effect of stripping away all the things that you came here to do in the first place. Is that fair? Yeah, totally. And it reminds me of a conversation I had a couple months back with James Clear, who has the the fastest growing personal blog online and he's amassed like eighty thousand last time I checked, which was a couple months ago, like eighty thousand person email list in a pretty short period of time and kind of exactly what you're talking about. Like he doesn't have any pop ups, he doesn't have any opt ins in the sidebar, he doesn't have anything. It's like all about the user experience. It, like his his blog looks a lot like Medium. Like if you ever read or publish anything on Medium, where it's got like a high quality image at the top and like big text and like easy to read and no distractions. It's just like the thing you came for, which was the content, the the entertainment or the knowledge or whatever. And um, so saying like not polluting your mind with um, with all, all those extraneous things, but similarly like not polluting the user experience or like the, the core of your message or your content with all these other things that like people will say, Oh, well this will increase your opt-ins and like this will like increase this. Um, you know, it, it, you're often doing it a little bit at the expense of user experience, which, um, which really is, and is becoming more and more King. Um, obviously great content is now, 
great content now is like the the absolute minimum you have to ante to be able to be in the game. But once it's great, then it's about user experience and providing like something really really great and um, and pure. I would venture to say that it's not great content until the people say it is. So I think everybody's got the cart before the horse. And I used to, too. I, I've just changed my thinking over the years about this, and that is you can, you know, everybody starts out their new blog posts these days in our space with you can develop all the great content you want, but if nobody notice it, notices it, you can't just put it up and they'll come. And everybody loves to start their blog posts out like that now. There's a, there's a trillion articles about that from so-called experts all over the globe, and everybody will eventually end up writing that article. It's the same article all the time. And the thing is, it's not really true. It's not, I don't think people are really thinking about what they're saying in that instance. It's not great content until people say it is. Because the reason that we're all here on the Internet, putting something up on the Internet, publishing, is to you know, get people's feedback, to get people engaged, to get people's attention, to get people to share things around. And I would go as far as to say you can create all the good content you want in your mind. But until people say that it's good, there's no point. I mean, it wasn't even there was no point in writing it in the first place, which is the same kind of message that the trillion articles that I spoke of before. But it's it's not even it's not people are assuming that the content is good because they spent a lot of time on it and they thought deeply about it and they had an idea, they wrote it, they put it on video, they put it in their podcast, and then they said this is good. And that is premature, in my opinion. I think it's not. It's it's only good in your mind. You feel like you've done their best work ever or whatever. Um, but only until people come back and go, this is really good. I'm sharing this. I'm going to do, you know, and then you start using words like behavioral metrics. And everybody just seemed to glom onto it and loved it and passed it around and all of that. That's when actually the good content becomes good content. Otherwise, it's just invisible as if it never happened. And it's only you know good in our minds when we put it together. And I think that when people get really self-analytical, like they they tend to do here uh, in in this world, I think a lot of the education that is put out is put out by people who work for corporations, who have always had the hardest time engaging in social media and engaging people. Period. Because who wants to write back and forth with Coca-Cola? I don't. Nobody does. So Coca-Cola had to go and put a human face on their brand you know, in a, on social media in a very specific way, and who taught them to do that but the people who go out and, and claim social media expertise and say, here's what, how you do it. So eventually that person writes a guide, and then they come back and they tell everybody else in the world, and they start confusing everything with inbound marketing, behavioral metrics, all of this, this geek speak. And then, and then people who are just living for the message, living for the passion, and they are in business, and they do want to make money, but there's passion involved – that's the thing that starts like sandpaper or sandblasting the message away until they've become this sterile, you know, megaphone that nobody really wants to listen to. And I think it's because of that corporate thing where everybody comes out of corporate, writes their book, and then everybody buys the book and says, okay, this is how I have to do it. But it's not, um, it's not taking advantage of things. Coca-Cola doesn't have a, a, a message like Greenpeace does. They don't have the passion strings, the emotional buttons that they can push. They never will that uh, Conservation International does or a, a, an organization dedicated to uh, you know, uh, getting bug nets all over the places that need them or clean water or, or anything like that. 
So all of that education is missing, which then brings me back to my point. People like you, Steve, are in huge, huge demand. I would think that a lot of people that you've started to work with probably comment really early on, wow, you've, you're saying stuff that nobody's said to us before when they've consulted us, when they've talked to us about what we need to do to get more traffic for our business or our nonprofit or uh, the combination of the, of the two. Is that true? Yeah, one thing I hear a lot is that when after I kind of explain um, my point of view is they say, yeah, like, wow, that, that makes more sense. It's like a total reframe. Like, it's kind of changing the way, like, I'm thinking about how we're doing um, the the web stuff. And um, so there was actually something that you, you said, and I really had, a, in my opinion, a – so it's kind of like you were saying, like, it's great content until someone else says it. So in my opinion, it was uh, something interesting, but I can't recall it. So uh, hopefully it will come back to me in a minute. Oh, the yeah, the, the line about the, uh, you know, you can write, you can put something together that's really brilliant in your mind, but it's not even in existence until somebody puts it out and shares it on their Facebook feed or on Google Plus or Twitter and gets other people to share it, and it really stands on its own. Like it hasn't been proven to be good content until – the purpose that you wrote that or created that content for is actually fulfilled. The outcome is actually there. And the outcome from great content is not publishing it. It's getting that feedback. It's, is this good content? That should be the question on your mind. Is this good? And what is good content? That's another derivative of the corporate structure, the corporate takeover of social media and everything, that we even say good content. What the hell is that, right? <laughs> like somebody wouldn't put the – H-E-L-L in their content because they want to drain it down to its very bare essence of, of, uh, of acceptability to the widest demographic that they possibly can, thereby not getting any real traction at all. It doesn't move anyone to do anything because it is so incredibly bland. And then they label it with good content. And it's like you can't just label something that. It has to be proven in the market to actually get the people that you designed it for really passionately engaged with it. Otherwise, you might have never – might as well never have written it. Totally. And so I just remembered, um, I, I just learned this from a friend of mine the other day because he talked about it in in the context of before I go into a sales call or a sales meeting, um, he said to do this exercise. But I think it applies before you write any piece of content and put anything out there. Um, and it's the, the three-layered purpose. And so you just kind of check in with yourself and go over this prior to making the phone call, hitting publish, whatever. Uh, well, probably you want to do it before you, you start writing it rather than hit publish. But so layer one of your purpose is your overall mission in life, your purpose, for example. Um, like mine is uh, currently to serve those who are serving others so they may more fully make their impact in the world. The second layer of purpose is your purpose in this specific business. Um, and then the third layer is your purpose in this specific interaction or like this specific action that you're about to take. So that way, like you're really connected with like why you're doing this in the first place, why you want to reach out, why you want to connect, like the message you want to get across as opposed to all the other like minutia that might cloud that. Right. I think where some people get, and that's really good, and, and I think where some people get off track is they have those things in their mind uh, during the process. But in the, in the process of 
putting things up on the web. They go back to the things that they've learned and the books that they've read and the webinars that they've been to and the terminology that exists in those things typically, and they get lost at that point. They start to get fuzzy on what the heck their purpose was, what the outcome was supposed to be of doing this in the first place, uh, because there's so many other these, these. They get tripped up on the technical. They get tripped up on the details. And somebody who's just purely, and, and this is not really, I don't think it's possible to be 100,000% purely passion-driven in every moment, but somebody who is more leaning toward that can just go out there and make all kinds of mistakes in our eyes. And you know, We could go in and analyze it and go, well, you could have done this better, you could have done that better. But at the end of the day, we can't argue with your results, which were you went out there and you got the word out, <clears throat> and you could have done it in a different way on Facebook or Google Plus or Twitter or LinkedIn, um, <clears throat> but you did it. And the way that you did it got all of this traction. So who are we to argue with you? And the passion-driven people you know, who don't let so much of the jargon and details and everything get in their way, you can see them making all kinds of mistakes according to the books that they read. You know, uh, They didn't do this right or they didn't do that right. But a lot of those times when people are getting critiqued on that, I'm sitting there going, yeah, but they've got a 50,000-person list. They've got a ton, they've got 500 people going to their site every day. They've got you know, uh, all of this engagement across all these things. So who are we to say that they're doing anything wrong? And so typically the person behind that is the one that will put their blinders on, know how to do you know, social media and promotion and email and engagement and lead generation and all that kind of stuff, but know it in, a, in its place so that it doesn't become the thing that you're doing. The thing that you're doing is getting the word out about your business and your passion and all of that, right? That's the thing that you want it. And then one of the things that we teach people at, at DU is to – Picture the outcome first. Picture why, if you're going to write a blog post or you're going to do a, a show, you're going to do a Google Hangout, picture what people are going to be saying about it when you put it up, what you want people to be doing with it, what you want their reaction to be, what you want them, their emotional triggers to, to fire off, and then put the show together. Then do the thing. Then write the article. With that in mind, and, we, and I tell people it's just reverse engineering the whole thing. Start at the end what you're picturing it to do, and you will stay true to your purpose because that's the most pure moment in your process where you are the most true to your, your passion. That's when you're thinking the most about what it is. That's when, when you come up with an idea for something, a great article for your business or whatever, that's when all your synapses are firing on the level of passion and this needs to get out there and, man, people are going to really love this. So that's when you think, all right, what are they going to love about it? What am I going to do in this show or on this blog post that people are going to love about it? And I'll actually picture the conversations and the comments that they're going to make on Facebook and Google Plus and everywhere else. And that actually changes the content. You know, it's almost like the double slit experiment in physics. <laughs> the way that you observe it and when you observe it depends on whether it's going to be a particle or a wave, right? And it's one of the most fascinating things of our time in human history, that little thought experiment. And it works on content, too. It will either be good content or bad content, depending on when you perceive that content being put together, what the outcome is supposed to be from the very, very beginning. It changes the title of it. It changes the keywords you use in it. It changes... Uh, the makeup, the outline of it, completely and utterly, every single time. So it's a really, really good formula. Have you, and, and it really does tell nicely with what you said. Your three main things, um, it's it's just perfect for that. I think I think people could really, you know, take that and and rock it just from today, thinking in terms of what you talked about 
And and this little part, that would probably do people some real good. We'd love to hear back from people who have written their next article or done their next uh, webinar or, or hangout or whatever it might be uh, with these things in mind. Totally. And it reminds me of like when people would write their content and they would write for a robot, like they would write for the Google algorithm rather, rather than for people. And exactly what you said earlier in the call about um, – you know, you write the content to, to share it with people and to, to get people's comments and feedback and interact and connect and have it get shared. And so that's people that do that rather than, than computers and algorithms and, and all these little things. And so you know, if getting your message and getting the right emotions and getting like the right things that get people to engage and share and interact and all those things, that's like the 80%. That's the 80 of the 80-20 or you, you get what I'm saying? And then mm-hmm. the parts of nitpick, nitpick is the 20 so I'd rather you be 80% and get, you know, and maybe get a D on, like, all the technical stuff than get an A-plus on the technical stuff and get a D on on the real key stuff, the stuff that um, really drives people to to take action and, and to um, to engage with you. Right. It's almost like people are taking a selfie all the way through the process of doing Internet marketing, right? Everybody is a, is a marketer on the Internet. And even people who don't have businesses are. I mean, people want good feedback on the stuff they put on Facebook from their friends, family, and peers that they're friends with. Everybody's marketing something. Everybody's selling something. And uh, and some people get really stuck in the whole process. Am I doing it right? And they're thinking the entire time, am I doing this right? Does this look right from the outside to the people I, whose, whose, whose opinions I think matter on this, the people who sold me the the, the – the training on how to do this is this if they were looking at it right now would they say I'm doing it right would they be proud of me and on the, in the whole process we're really taking a a selfie we're we're really way too self-aware and if you and you've worked with you know groups and you work with people everybody's been around people who are really really passionate about something right whether it's a business whether it's a nonprofit whether it's anything or just a personal interest what you know, it would behoove everyone, I think, to to think about that for a second. What makes those people different? Sometimes even obnoxious in their in their singular focus on the thing that they're passionate about. And there's something to be learned there. I think it's because you know they're so passionate, they're gonna they're gonna let a lot of things fall off the side in getting their message out. Their passion is gonna drive a lot of things, and a lot of things in their in their way of getting engagement and getting out there reaching people are gonna be very very imperfect. Very imperfect. They're not going to be focused on, did I post at the right time of day on Facebook? Did I write the very best headline I possibly could? Did I? No, I got it out there. And people recognize that passion, but they also, conversely, I think, recognize people who are being way too self-aware. It's, it's uncomfortable to read somebody's stuff who you can almost picture them going, God, I hope, this, I hope everybody likes this. I, I hope I'm doing this right. You can read between the lines in some of the content that people put out, and it's like somebody just reached in and sucked the soul out of it because they, they can't possibly focus on what they're really, really good at, what they really, really came here to do if all they're focused on or a majority of what they're focused on is taking that little selfie snapshot every three or four seconds to you know, either per, perfect what they think they ought to be doing rather than just doing what they know they should be doing. That might have been very much more convoluted than I wanted it to be, but did you get it? <laughs> yeah. I, I think I got it, and I totally, like, totally identify with, with what you're saying. And, like, I, for a long time, I was just addicted to information, 
and kind of jumping from one shiny object to the other. And I was thinking about, okay, like, am I following this person's formula, this person's like thing? And am I doing it like correctly? And, and then like you have, and exactly what you're talking about, like there's a lot of fear of disapproval combined with like the need of approval for others. And so um, for me, when it, when I was able to, and I'm still, it's a process. It's something that I'm not an expert in by any met stretch, but I've progressed more today than I was a year ago and more a year ago than two years ago and so on it is being able to, to shed those things. And, um, you know, it's, it's almost kind of the point where like authenticity and vulnerability have become like buzzwords, but you know, that's like you can feel it. Like when you, mm-hmm. when someone's like being true and like, it's not over polished and, uh, and I think that's really what people crave because that's, that's where real connection is, is created. Mm-hmm. Um, and plus, like, when you put yourself out there and, like, then you get the feedback and that's, like, you know, the the quote about the, the difference between the master and the beginners, the master's failed more times than the beginner's ever even tried. And yeah. there's, there's really no excuse for learning it yourself. And you can read other people's books. You can read their biography. You can see how they did stuff. But until you put it out there, like, with your own flavor, your own spin, your own unique um, – you know, energy and passion into what it is that you're you're doing or trying to put out uh, and express into the world. You're not gonna you're not gonna know unless you try and and listen. Have your yeah. ears open for feedback. Here's a, here's another catchphrase you you'll recognize: be genuine, be authentic. And people put that in a list of things, and it doesn't belong in a list of things. Ten things: go to Facebook, do this, put this up, do this make your post, go to your email, and number five, be authentic. It's not a list thing. It's, and, and people are like, everybody knows how to be authentic. Everybody just does it. It's like telling a fish about water. You, they don't understand what you're talking about. But like, you can't put it on number five, be authentic. That's just a thing that we do. And so even somebody who's really good at, at you know, um, not worrying about what other people think and just being passionate and letting it go and, and saying what they mean – will take themselves out of the process of being authentic because it's not really a process to begin with, and they'll go, well, what do you mean by being authentic, Mr. Expert? And then they'll do something really stupid. Like they will say something completely the opposite that they, they intended to do, or they'll convey a message that was exactly not what they wanted to convey because it was number five on a list of ten things, and it said be authentic. You don't be authentic. You just either you are or you are not something. And that is one big thing that I think a lot of people are like, people who are really good otherwise at really getting the message out, at really speaking their mind and saying, here's what this is going to be, here's the outline, here's what I want to convey, and here's the outcome I want to have. When they're not polluted by any of the other stuff, like number five, be authentic, then they will just do it. They just do. Like a fish just swims in the water. It just is born knowing how to do that. And then, But if it's a list thing, on a list of one to ten, it makes people do really kind of silly things. Have you experienced that? Not yeah. that, but experience seeing that with other people. Yeah, and, and me too, honestly. I'm not uh, immune to it where, like, you, you get, like, really into it and think, like, oh, like, I need to be, like, authentic and vulnerable and raw and, like, all these things. And, like, that pulls you out of – that pulls you, like, out of your body into your head where you start worrying. You start, like, micromanaging, like, your, your message and your what you've written and – and really, and I think that's why the, the three-layer purpose thing that I talked about and, and a lot mm-hmm. of the stuff that you talked about where, like, when you put yourself 
back into like the core of like yourself and your message and what you're trying to like do, then it just it happens. It just is natural that like you're the fish in water. Um, and so like the the second that you start thinking about like being it, then you're not. Um, there's some Zen Buddhist quote. Yeah, that, yeah. Um, like that the something about like the Tao Te Ching, like that the the second like you're thinking about the way, like you're no longer um, like one with the way. Very something. good. I like you a lot. That is awesome. That's perfect. I should have thought to say that, and I'm glad that you did because that's the perfect way to look at it. That's exactly what I was trying to say, and I took 5,000 words to say it, and you just said it in the Tao Te Ching. So good for you. You get the award. You 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 win Tuesday. You, you win the whole day. You get the whole day. Yeah. You get the prize. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I want to make sure that you you guys get to the right places to learn more from this brilliant master, Steve Dar. It's at stevedar.com, and you can also go to profithacking.com, profithacking, just like it sounds, .com, and read Steve's book. I highly, highly recommend it. And, Steve, thank you so much. Are there there any closing thoughts? What would you want to impart on people? Uh, We have a a couple of minutes left uh, before our next segment. Yeah, so the, the the main thing I talked about um, when I was on stage a couple weeks ago was your comfort zone and finding ways to transcend it every day because your comfort zone is a, is a box, a fence that keeps you living a smaller life than what you're capable of. And the, the fence isn't real. It just exists in your mind. And so if you can find ways to practice and grow and, and just get comfortable doing things that you may, maybe would have made you feel a little uneasy today or yesterday – a year from now, you'll look back and you have depressed growth, and you can't help fast growth, your happiness, your relationships, and everything else. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Gina, do you have anything to close with today? Oh, I'm really sorry I didn't get a chance to chime in more, but Steve, I really look forward to getting to know you better. If there's anything that we can ever do for you at DU, please just let Jan or me know. I I love what you're doing, and it, it's really, really aligned with everything we do at Directions University as well. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you guys for having me. I had a lot of fun. And now we have Jan's short segment with DU faculty member and bachelor student Joseph Mack, who is going to share how you can profit from reputation marketing. Hi, this is Jan Riley, and today I am here with Joseph Mack. And Joseph, as we've been talking earlier, and I've been getting to know you, the thing that I'm most struck by is how truly passionate you are about helping local businesses maintain a positive reputation online. And I'm really passionate about local business myself. I've been a local small business owner for over 30 years. And anybody that has a business with with a local uh, slant to it understands just how important their reputation is. But I think a lot of people don't understand that this also uh, means that their online presence has their reputation attached to it. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what online reputation is 
and how you got into helping people maintain theirs. Okay, Jan. Well, you know, we've gone through a lot of evolution when it comes to the Internet. And Google, to me, is the 800-pound gorilla that's out there. And they started out with maps a number of years ago. They evolved into Google Places. Now you've got My Business uh, that they have out there. And one of the things that, that happens is when people go out and they search something on the Internet and they look for a business, they typically use Google Maps or Google Search, and, and they find uh, a listing of you know what's on the front page of Google, and there's like typically 10 businesses there. And one of the things that shows up very prominently is a business's reputation. You know, we got the five stars. At one point, Google got a 30-point scale that they were using, and they've gone back to five stars. And so when somebody goes out and looks for a restaurant or they look for business, and they see the star rating, you know, it, there's a joke on the Internet that says, where's the best place to hide a dead body? And the answer is on page two of Google because nobody ever goes there. So right. people will look at what they see on that first page, and they'll make their buying decision based on that. And so a lot of businesses, while they know that their reputation is important, they don't have a clue of what it means for to online. You know, we've still got a lot of businesses out there where the owners haven't really embraced the Internet. There's still a good number that don't have websites, and a good number of them don't have a clue that people are leaving reviews about them and their business. And so, therefore, if you don't know what's going on, you can't manage it, you can't deal with it. And so when I saw this, uh, I started to get a couple clients that got into some real challenges relative to the reputation, and I was able to help them to, I'll say, clean that up and to uh, show better as to what they were really all about. Now, I'm not about taking a business that doesn't care about their reputation and trying to turn them into a five-star uh, reputation business, but at the same time, uh, a lot of these people haven't kept up with technology. That's understandable. They're running their business. They don't have time to really know what's going on, so I use various tools and techniques uh, to be able to help them a lot of people don't even think about asking for a testimonial or a review. And testimonials and reviews are essentially the same thing. And so when, you know, you go out there, there's essentially four kinds of reputation. Most people don't know this. There's a good reputation. There's a bad reputation. Then there's no reputation. And then there's a five-star reputation. And the challenge is we know what a good and bad reputation are. But no reputation is almost as bad as a bad reputation because people look at that and say, well, nobody thought enough about that, that business to leave them a review. If there's no activity in their review status, um, I'll often uh, skip them just simply because I don't want to mess with somebody who isn't in business. Right. And, you know, one of the things that's out there, they've actually done some studies and the uh, the result is something like this. If a friend or family member gives an individual a recommendation, referral, or suggestion of some place to go eat or buy something or whatever, then 92-plus percent of the people on that, and if they have that need, they will go to that business and do business. Well, Nielsen did a study some years back, a couple of years back, and basically they found that over 72% of the people that search online and look at reviews will act on those reviews as if a friend or family member left them or gave them that recommendation. That is a huge number, and yeah. that number is growing. I heard in the last year it's closer to 80% now, but people don't have anything else to go by, and I think all of us, because if I go into the yellow pages, which I 
don't even think I own anymore. But if I go out and I look online or whatever, I don't know whether the reviews are legitimate or they're not or what's going on. And so when we get the referrals and have nothing else to go by, we take it at face value and run with it. How detrimental are bad reviews? Because, you know, I think one of the things that I found when I encouraged businesses, especially small businesses, to actually get more prevalent in, you know, getting their customers to leave reviews, they were like, well, I don't, I don't want anybody to leave bad reviews. And I've heard that people don't mind seeing a bad review. They don't want to see a bunch of them. I know for me, seeing a bad review about something or a one or two stars it's all in context because sometimes that'll be information about a product or service that maybe they didn't like a particular aspect of it. You're, you're exactly right. And I have one client, a salon, and a woman walked in and left a review that basically said, while I was sitting under the hairdryer, uh, I heard my stylist and another stylist talk about how shabbily the people were dressed in the salon and about their love lives and so on. And she then went to say, I wonder what they say about me when, when I'm not there. And the reality is that you know, I don't know if too many people that can hear enough under a hairdryer for you know, understanding what's going on 5, 10, or 20 feet away from them. The other thing was when they went to look for this woman to get back and re- respond to her, they went back 18 months in their files and could not find her in uh, any uh, client ledger or that she'd ever gone into the salon. And the reality is right now I could go online to any place in the world and I could bring up a business and I could leave them a review and they're stuck with it. Uh, There's only two ways that a review can be changed or modified. The first is if the review site deems that there's inappropriate language or other things that they deem to be inappropriate, they will remove that review. The second one is the person that left the review, they can change the review and or delete the review if they want. But there's no other way to delete or change uh, online reviews other than those two mechanisms. Well, and, you know, there are mechanisms and ways that a business owner can, I'll say, ease that process. I have a service that I provide my clients where uh, they ask people to leave a review. There's a button on their website, please leave a review. And they leave. They can leave a review on the client's website. And when they do, if it's a four or five star review, then they're asked if they would please leave that review online. And they're actually given a button to click saying yes. And then they can copy and paste that review and leave it right on Google or wherever the particular business wants that review left. And so that way, if the uh, review is a one, two, or three star. The business owner is informed, hey, you've got an issue here. You might want to talk to this particular customer and see what you can do to fix it. Because I think most every business is in business to do the best they can and to serve their clients. And so that way, there is a way that before that review gets left online, that the uh, the business owner has a way of, I'll say, fixing what the issue was. But Jan, let me offer you something for you and your listeners uh, I have a website which is called My Five Star Reputation.com. And they're all words M Y F I V E S T A R Reputation.com. You can go to that website, you enter your name, and you enter your business primary phone number, and it will come back 
and show you what, if any, bad negative reviews online there are for about eight or nine uh, review sites, and it'll give you a perspective of what's what. And if the phone number, or if it comes back and says we don't recognize this phone number, then that individual or that business has not set up their Google Places to uh, be able to allow Google to understand who and what they're about. So that's something that you can use and check out what your own reputation is. Wow, that's powerful. Well, Joseph, thank you so much. This has been really enlightening, and I hope people will take it to heart that their online reputation is really just another way to communicate with their ideal clients. And stay tuned for Jack and Gina. So that you can Well, thank you so much, Jan and Joseph. Fantastic show today, don't you think, Jack? Yes, it's. Uh, I love that. I don't know where Jan finds all these awesome people for us, but uh, Steve is is right in the right in the zone when it comes to what we talk about a lot on on DU. That's amazing. I, he's a great he guy. He really is. We got to keep him around our world. Yeah. Really good. Yeah, we all got to stick together. But I love how this is emerging. I mean, there's just more and more and more of this stuff. Uh, I think the pendulum is starting to swing back away from the things that we talked about today, all the details and technical things, all that stuff, all the junk that's really tripping people up. And people are just getting back or wanting to get back to what they came here for in the first place, what they got on the Internet, what they started their business for in the first place. And a lot of people started. It's starting to appear to be so for passionate reasons for I want to do this, but I want to do good in the world. I want to sell products, but I also want to leave it a better place than I I found it at the same time. And uh, I love discovering continually. Every single week we discover more and more people uh, like Steve and businesses that he works with. I totally agree. it's, It's been my heart since I started my business. So I'm so glad that the rest of the world is finally catching up. Jack and I will be back next week with yet another fantastic guest here on Traffic Masters. Have a fabulous week, everybody. Thanks, Jack. Thank you. Join us Tuesday at noon Eastern for the next episode of Traffic Masters. From traffic to conversion to business success.